Okay. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the first 2022 edition of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. All right, Joe. Well, we just got done with bowl season. And, you know, going over everything, it looks like uh, we had a really competitive bowl pool between the two of us. And we'll reveal the winner of that at the beginning of the next segment that we do. But before we go into the winner and loser, of course, big stakes on this. If I lose, I have to wear a Georgia something, which I'll get from my friend of the show, Kyle, who's a big Georgia fan. And if you lose, you have to wear something Mississippi State related. So I know the drama's out there. We come back for our next podcast. We'll let everybody know who won. Uh, but Joe, Speaking of the bowl season in general, what do you think was your favorite game that you watched the entire bowl season this year? Uh, definitely the Rose Bowl for me. Um, I thought it was just so entertaining, high octane. It reminded me a lot of the Penn State USC Rose Bowl from about six years ago with uh, Juju Smith Schuster and Saquon Barkley. I think even Kirk Herbstreit or Chris Fowler said that during this year's game. But it was just so much fun. And we saw Ohio State, even with the opt outs, you know. Um, they had gr- just unbelievable wide receiver play. I mean, like as good as, you know, it, it gets. And you had Utah play great. I thought it was awesome seeing them in the Rose Bowl for the first time in school history with uh, Kyle Whittingham, who, you know, is kind of quietly one of the best coaches in the country that people probably don't give credit to enough. And I just thought it was just an outstanding game and came right down to the wire. Yeah, Joe, you're talking about Kyle Whittingham. My dad called me during the game and he's like, who's the Utah coach? And I was like, Kyle Whittingham. He's like, he's still there. I'm like, yeah, he's still there and he's still being consistent. And I mean, what a great game. They got out to that huge lead on Ohio state. And then Ohio state's just amazing wide receiver depth showed out. I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who's their third best receiver gets 330 yards receiving and five touchdowns in that game. And then Marvin Harrison jr. Yes. The Marvin Harrison son is their fourth best receiver and he goes out and gets over 100 yards, and I think he had like four touchdowns in that game too. Just a crazy a crazy game, a lot of points. And, I mean, it was just so exciting because, really, you got to see Pac-12 football in that essentially because that was the way that game rolled out. And C.J. Stroud and the receivers got just a little bit of an edge on Utah, although it's kind of sad because – uh, Cam Rising for Utah, their quarterback, was having such a great game, and then he got injured at the very end. But then, amazingly, the backup quarterback goes out and gets a touchdown pass of his own to get the lead, uh, to get it tied up again for Utah. So I don't know if you can really say that that caused the game because they only had one drive with the backup in, and he delivered. And then, of course, at that point, Ohio State was able to drive down and get the field goal to win the game. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely hated seeing Rising not be able to finish the game, but just an unbelievable game. And kind of the weird thing about, I thought, Saturday on New Year's Day was that those three games really felt, especially the Rose Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl, they felt more like playoff games than the playoff games themselves. And I don't know why that is. Like, I don't know why it is, Dan, that we can't get a playoff game that's even close to that level of competitiveness. No, absolutely. I mean, how much would you have loved to have seen a game that was like Ohio State and Notre Dame as one of the playoff games? That was also a great comeback. I mean, you had a great comeback in the Sugar Bowl or not the Sugar Bowl, in the Rose Bowl and in the Fiesta Bowl, because mm-hmm. I think Notre Dame was up on uh, Oklahoma State 28-7 at one point, too. Interesting yeah. that both those games were at that margin. And Oklahoma State's defense 
which have been so great all season, really struggled in the first half against Notre Dame. And I was already singing the praises of Marcus Freeman and what he did. And then in the second half, uh, Oklahoma State just came out. And Spencer Sanders, I thought, played the best game he's had since he's been a Cowboy. I mean, he was excellent in that. He threw for over 300 yards, which you rarely see with him. And he rushed for over 100. And he's coming back to Oklahoma State for another season. I feel like he's been there like 10 years. But he's going to make it probably at least the sixth season being an Oklahoma State uh, Oklahoma State Cowboy. And just a great game for him. And I think really good for them going into the next season, building off what they had this year. Yes, they lose Jim Knowles as the defensive coordinator. But really the thing that held them back and the reason they didn't make the playoffs this year was because of Spencer Sanders as a quarterback. So if he can take that next step against what was a very good Notre Dame defense, then maybe that gives a hope that Oklahoma State can get that extra couple inches next year and make the college football playoff. Yeah, I think they have a good chance. I think, you know, you look at both them and Baylor are going to continue, I think, to be good programs next year. I don't think this year was a fluke for either team. Um, but some other games that stood out to me, you know, in addition to the New Year's Six, I look at the uh, Tennessee-Purdue game, which is absolutely phenomenal. That was going to be just, number you know, one. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that was a great one. I know you probably want to talk more about that one. But, I mean, um, you know, just some games I thought that, um, you know, were, were just – like, a lot of times you'll get games like that, or even like um, – what was another one? Was it the Iowa who, – who did Iowa play that was, like, pretty close? It was Iowa um, and Kentucky. Kentucky. Like, you'll get some of these kind of uh, random bowl games at times that maybe aren't quite as dissected that will sometimes be, you know, really uh, sneaky good. Yeah, Joe, let's first get into that Tennessee-Purdue game, which I was excited about from the beginning. You knew there wasn't going to be a whole lot of defense in that game, that it was going to be high-octane. And it didn't disappoint. I mean, I think in the last eight minutes of that game, there were five touchdowns scored. I mean, it was nuts. And then, sadly, at the very end, Tennessee gets robbed. I mean, there's no way that you can look at that play and say that guy didn't score. Yeah. Um, I mean, every single angle you had, his, his ankle was clearly above the ground. He was pushing through. And really what I thought was one of the, most, one of the best effort touchdowns I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, the guy was driving through three different people. He was maintaining his body status to where he didn't touch at all. I mean, really just an amazing effort. And you hate that some official blew the whistle too early and ruined that play. And I really think that's something they need to teach officials, that they need to give the proper amount of time before they blow the whistle because you ruin plays like that where it's obvious the guy scored and it cost Tennessee the game. That wasn't fair. No, absolutely. I know. I think we've talked about that even before. I want to say, even when we had the radio show, we used to talk about officials blowing the whistle too prematurely and how, you know, too often it kind of impacts, you know, plays that could otherwise uh, stand as touchdowns. Because, you know, unfortunately, at the point that they blow the whistle, I guess there's just no going back. Right. So that, I mean, that's definitely, that's definitely unfortunate. Um, so definitely felt bad for Tennessee. Um, another game I thought that was sneaky good early in the bowl season was, I think, Northern Iowa and Coastal Carolina was a really good game, too. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, Coastal Carolina, you know, another good season, not quite what they had last year. Uh, Joe, the last thing I was going to say about that Tennessee-Purdue game is that that happened in Nashville in the Music City Bowl, which you know is going to be – probably 90% Tennessee fans at it. Although I will say I was in Nashville the last time Purdue was playing Auburn in the Music City Bowl, and they did bring a pretty good crowd. I was surprised at how many people I saw there. But the whole time, as soon as that game ended, I was like, officials, run for your lives. You're going to get drilled with golf balls. 
There's no way you're going to be safe from golf balls after this one. Because in that game, Tennessee fans had a legitimate gripe in that, in that Music City Bowl. I mean, if you were going to bust out the putter, that was the game to do it, not the Ole Miss game. Yeah, no, absolutely. They certainly had a gripe here. And, you know, to your point about Purdue versus Tennessee with the fan bases, yeah, you definitely expect Tennessee to, try to you know, have a great turnout there. But, you know, with Purdue, they really haven't been to many top-tier bowl games over the last 20 years since Breeze was there. Like, I guess probably the Music City is about the best bowl game they've been to in the last 20 years. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can honestly say, Joe, I was shocked when I was up. I was up in Nashville not going to that game. I was just up there coincidentally at the same time. I think we were visiting friend of the show, Chelsea, at that point. And when we were out in Nashville, we saw Purdue fans everywhere. I mean, they really came out, and everybody kept asking me if I was up there for the Auburn-Purdue game, and I wasn't, which, I mean, that was really a terrible football game, and I'm glad I didn't go to it. I think Auburn won that game like 63-14 to 14 or something. So I kind of thought, too, that Purdue was definitely going to play well in this game because the last image you had of them in the Music City Bowl was them getting destroyed by Gus Malzahn called offense. That's even more embarrassing mm-hmm. right there. Um, <laughs> but speaking of Auburn and embarrassing, hey, and talking about having a home crowd, their awful performance in the Birmingham Bowl really just resonates throughout this offseason. I mean, I thought uh, the way Auburn's season ended, getting that bowl game was kind of a gift, I thought. I mean, they didn't really even deserve that game against what I thought was a pretty good opponent in Houston. Losing four mm-hmm. games in a row to end the year, I kind of thought they should have been in an even worse bowl game than that. And I will say it looks like the new stadium in Birmingham that UAB is playing in is nice. I drove by it on the interstate on my way up to Chattanooga. It looked really good. And I thought that was kind of a neat, you know, chance for Auburn to get to play in front of what's going to be a large majority crowd. I mean, I think that was probably even more so than the Tennessee game. A lot of people came to that and, of course, a lot of Auburn people. And the defense came out despite all kinds of opt-outs. Roger McCreary had opted out. Um, uh, you know, uh, Ricochet Rabbit, Zacoby McLean had opted out of that game, and Owen Papo was hurt. And Chandler Wooden, who's a fifth-year senior, who I think is kind of an interesting story, he opted out of last season because of COVID, and he had just become a new father, and he didn't want to, you know, risk possibly having his baby get uh, baby and wife get sick. And I thought it was a very a good reason for someone to opt out. Comes back for his fifth year. Uh, was a rotational piece, did a good job when he was in, but he got his starting duty in this game, had a great interception, like an absolutely great interception, was the leading tackler of the team. And despite his effort, and what I thought was a stellar effort by the defense, uh, the offense just was terrible. And I I don't know how to explain it because they didn't have a whole lot of opt-outs on offense. The offensive line opted out, but there wasn't any receivers out. Tank was was in the game. So was – um, so it was Jarquez Hunter and TJ Finley. I mean, I don't know if he still hadn't healed up. I mean, they said that he was fine going into the game it was just terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was disappointing, you know, all around, you know, it was a good Houston team though. I'll say that, you know, over 10 wins, uh, the second best team in the AAC all season. And I heard a weird statistic today and then we can, you know, go back to the game, but, um, there were, th- um, three teams from the state of Texas um, this year that had 10 or more wins counting Houston along with Baylor and also um, UTSA, not, hmm. you know, the three teams you would think like not involved Texas, in Texas, Texas, State State and Texas. And the other weird thing, Dan, is there was one other state that had three 10 win teams in college football this year. And would you believe it was Utah with Utah, Utah state and BYU. 
How about that? That, that is not the one I would have thought of. It's so, probably yeah. like only three colleges in Utah that I can even name. I uh, know. I would have guessed, I think, Ohio with that, you know, with Cincinnati and Ohio State and tried to think if there was one more. But yes, yeah, so that was kind of the random stat of the day. But yeah, Houston, I thought they were a good team. Um, I just, you know, thought all year long they played well, but this is still a game, you know, that I think we both picked Auburn to win. I expected Auburn to win. So, I mean, it, it, it's definitely, I think, uh, kind of a disappointment, obviously. Um, but like, what are your thoughts on kind of how Auburn like finished the season kind of like going forward under, uh, um, the new coaching staff? Yeah, I don't know, Joe. I mean, I, um, right now, if I were to give a grade to the Auburn coaching staff last year, I'd give them a D plus. I mean, it's hard for me to go any better than that. Um, you know, I think what, what I expected as an Auburn fan going in, what I would have been happy with was I think a nine and four season, I think I would have been happy with. I'd have been very happy with a 10 win season, a nine and four season with what we had coming back on defense with Bo Nix returning, I think was expected. Uh, and anything less than that was going to be a little bit of a disappointment. And when they got to six and two in the middle of the year, they're playing Texas A&M with a chance to securely be in the catbird seat uh, to have a chance to win the SEC West going against Alabama later, I was really happy with the job that had been done. I looked at the Penn State game. I was at that game. Really great environment. Tough game, but I thought the players were well prepared for it. Georgia, I didn't, you know, I thought Georgia was just a great football team, and they were better than us, so that didn't bother me, and I thought they played hard. But then the A&M game, the defense played outstanding, and the offense was atrocious. That was the worst game that Bo Nix ever played, so he took steps back. Then you have the Mississippi State game where they blow the 28-3 to lead, and that was absolutely inexcusable. I mean, first off, you know, they call me an elitist Auburn fan, but they shouldn't lose to Mississippi State to begin with. And, you know, but it, it, even in, like, years where Mississippi State is good, you can't blow a 28-3 to lead. And this Mississippi State team was not a good Mississippi State team. They were just a very roller coaster Mississippi State team, as yeah. evidenced by their bowl loss to Texas Tech, where they weren't even competitive and what, lost 31-7 to or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so that game already was bad. Then you go to South Carolina and you lose to him for a second year in a row. Awful in the first season of Shane Beamer. The Alabama game, they were prepared, but then there was a lot of boneheaded coaching moves at the end of the game, which you and I have already talked about ad nauseum, so we don't need to get into that again. And then you move on and you have what happened in this bowl game. And I look back and, Joe, every single one of these games I mentioned, they had the lead. They had the yeah. lead in every single one of these games. And in four out of five of them, they had double-digit leads. Yeah, I was feeling pretty good for Auburn when they were 6-2. and two. And, you know, I, I really thought they had a good chance to compete with Bama for the West. Like, I really thought the Iron Bowl at the end of November was going to decide the West. And obviously, um, you know, that, that just everything changed drastically. And so, you know, I'll be interested to see where they go from here. Um, what do you expect as far as the quarterback for next season? I don't know, Joe. I mean, you know, I, I was expecting them to go out and get somebody in the transfer portal, but so far it hasn't happened yet. And I feel like it's moved so fast in the transfer portal that if they hadn't gotten somebody yet, then I don't know if it's going to happen. I've heard that Zach Calzada and Auburn have mutual interest in each other, but I don't know that that would be a real upgrade over what you have in TJ Finley. I thought Calzada yeah. was at best a decent game manager, very tough, but he had one good game. And that was against Alabama. And I watched him play against Auburn, and while he was tough, tough is different than good. You know what I'm saying? And he didn't really put up a great performance there. And so, I mean, you know, unless you're getting Caleb Williams or something like that, 
you know, I don't really see them upgrading the quarterback position that much in the transfer portal. Now, they did get a four-star quarterback that I think was the number one quarterback in the state of Georgia, Holden Jariner, who's coming in as a true freshman next year out of Savannah, and he's got really good measurables, a really good uh, pocket passer who does have the ability to run a little bit, who might be interesting, but it's hard for me to, you know, see him as a day one starter. So we'll have to see. I mean, I think right now we're probably going to have TJ Finley be the starter unless they get somebody in the transfer portal. It's be interesting to see with the portal, if anybody enters it kind of like getting closer to spring practice, maybe some, you know, players enter like a new coaching staff and they're not as happy, you know, with the new staff. And I could still see some more players, you know, getting out there in the portal, but probably more than likely Finley um, to your point. Yes. Uh, the only bright spot I will say of Auburn's first season is I was really pleased with Derek Mason as a defensive coordinator. Um, there weren't really many games the entire season where I was disappointed in what he did. Uh, maybe the Penn State game, I thought that the, you know, the, the didn't seem like we had a lot of good blitz packages right there and we didn't get a lot of pressure. But I don't really think that there was ever that many instances uh, outside the Mississippi State game, which obviously they blew a 28-3 to lead. I would say that would be the worst performance he had all year. But that was really the only game the entire season where I really thought that Mason didn't adapt well and didn't have his defense prepared. And so definitely he was the shining spot of Auburn's first year under the Harson era. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And, Joe, speaking of Penn State, they lost a real uh, shocking game and a really sad game too because just like Auburn's season and like Ole Miss's season, which we'll mention – uh, it got marred by a quarterback injury multiple times. So Sean Clifford, of course, got injured when they were playing Iowa when they had the lead, and then Iowa came back and beat them. He was out for three or four games. They can never really get it back after that. And he, at the end of the season, he's in this game playing in the Citrus Bowl looking great. They're beating Arkansas, and he gets hurt again, and Arkansas comes back and beats them. And I just felt so bad for Clifford, who, you know, really just had it an injury-riddled year, but – Good news for Penn State fans. He's also coming back for a sixth season. Yeah, I mean, he'll be back. And so Penn State, you know, will be, you know, a factor. They'll be ranked, I think, throughout next season. Definitely be a contender somewhat in the Big Ten. And then Arkansas, you know, just the emergence with Sam Pittman, um, K.J. Jefferson. Like, I really think he has the potential to be the second or third best quarterback in the league next year after Bryce Young. So, yeah, I really like what uh, Pittman's doing at Arkansas. Hey, Joe, so apparently since the, we'll talk about this more in the next segment, but since the transfer portal now is apparently free agency, you think that Lane ought to take the short drive over to Sardis and see if he can talk to KJ's family and get him to transfer to Ole Miss? That, that'd be a good one. I mean, I'll say this. I mean, I was surprised they didn't already get their quarterback in the transfer portal. They were linked uh, to Dylan Gabriel, I believe, before uh, Levy um, left for Oklahoma. And then, of course, you know, Gabriel said he was going to USC, and then I think now he's going to Oklahoma. So, I mean, I'd still be surprised if it's Altmaier. Like, I think Altmaier's a pretty good quarterback, but I still would prefer somebody else, you know, to be on campus, too, for competition. Well, can I say this, Joe? Let's talk about this Ole Miss-Baylor game. Of course, Matt Corral and what is a very uncommon move nowadays actually plays in the Sugar Bowl game, even though he's going to be a first-round draft pick and it's not a playoff game, and he never apparently even had thoughts of not playing in it. And, of course, he suffers an ankle injury early in that game against Baylor, which I think most of us who were watching closely knew it wasn't a serious injury, mm -hmm. but knew that it was one where he wouldn't come back. 
I mean, I'm pretty sure that what happened is when he was in that 10 and when he went to the locker room, they're like, listen, your x-rays are negative and you probably can go out and play. It's just, do you think you should at this point? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think he made the right decision, definitely not playing after that. But, Joe, the biggest question I have of that game, Baylor had a great defense. We couldn't run the ball on them. Do you think that maybe Kiffin should have urged Corral to go ahead and opt out? And that way they could have had Altmaier actually prepared to be the starter in that game. Because you could see that he had he was not ready. He was not in a position where he could have succeeded in that position against that defense. And I think that Ole Miss probably would have won the game if Corral just went ahead and opted out a month and a half ago for that game. And Altmaier had the chance to actually get ready for it. Here's what I would say about it. I feel like if Corral – you know, is in that game, and I heard so many people say this, Ole Miss wins the game. Like, I just don't think, you know, if he gets injured, Baylor wins based on the turnovers and the fact that Baylor's um, offense, you know, didn't do much. Ole Miss's defense kind of quietly, you know, had a great game, even though there's 21 points in the scoreboard. I can't fault um, Corral for playing, and the reason is this. In the grand scheme of things, you know, even though the SEC teams, any program will say they want to win a national championship, I told my dad the other day that I objectively feel like 10-2, and 11-2 if they win the Sugar Bowl, that's about as good as you can expect from an Ole Miss perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I would love to say they can win a national title, but, you know, Ole Miss for years has always had issues with depth like against other teams in the SEC. It's just, it's just hard for them, you know, through a season to go 11-1 and or 12-0. And so in the grand scheme of things, given the fact that Matt Corral was going for what would be a historically great season for Ole Miss with 11-2 and in a Sugar Bowl, I could see why that would be a little bit more unique for him playing compared to other programs that were eliminated from the playoff. Yeah, I think so too, Joe. Now, like I said, I've got a lot of respect for him for playing. It just – that was like the first thought in my mind after that game was I was like, man, if I had known it was going to go like this, I wish you would have gone ahead and opted out earlier. Yeah, I mean, it would have helped Altmaier if he had been the guy. Uh, that, that, that's a good point. I mean, the biggest thing that I saw with Altmaier is I thought his arm looked very good, but there were a lot of opportunities he had to run it against that Baylor defense, which he didn't take because that's obviously not his skill set. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think Corral would have definitely been able to get the rushing yards that Ole Miss was lacking in that game because I always give this to, to Baylor. Their defense completely shut down Elian. Ely and Snoop and all of our great running backs. I mean, they, I mean, what we had like 40 yards rushing in that game. I mean, it was a complete and utter lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one reason, you know, you see Corral, you know, a candidate to unfortunately get hurt is because, you know, he felt like he had to run the football because nobody else could. And they also were kind of tightening up on the passing game, too. Even though Drummond did get, you know, some yardage and he had the big pass to uh, Braylon Sanders from Altmaier. But I kind of came away feeling like, you know, Baylor's defense was better than I had given them credit for. You know, they, they were outstanding. Um, you know, disappointed to see Ole Miss lose, but still, you know, 10-3 and three is better than I could have imagined two years ago when uh, Lane Kiffin was hired this quickly, I mean, to get to this point. So a lot to still be excited about. But just a kind of a general takeaway, Dan, I noticed not only with Baylor beating Ole Miss, but like Mississippi State losing to Texas Tech, Oklahoma State beating Notre Dame, I've noticed that some of these Big 12 teams that are not going to the SEC, it's like they're playing these bowl games with a little bit of like a chip on their shoulder. I mm-hmm. Yeah, they play great, man. The Big 12 had a great bowl season. Then Oklahoma just eviscerated Oregon. 
with Bob Stoops adding just another win onto his total uh, as the Oklahoma coach. And I thought that was a cool interim coach to have for a game. And, of course, I think the second touchdown of the game, Bob Stoops' son caught a touchdown. And it was really cool getting to see father and son hug each other for a game that, you know, obviously his son never thought he would get to have, be coached under his dad. So that was really cool how that worked out. But, I mean, I think I came away from this bowl season, even including last night's 42-20 win at Kansas State over LSU with what is admittedly a depleted LSU roster. What a great season for the Big 12. I don't know if they won the bowl challenge or not this year, but I got to say that in terms of meaningful games, they won all of, all of them. They did. And, you know, a couple of their future teams, what Cincinnati and Houston and uh, UCF, you know, they had not Cincinnati, but Houston and UCF, you know, they got bowl wins too. Yeah, that was a huge win right there. I mean, I think that's kind of a good one to, to go out on. We'll talk about the semifinal games when we talk about the Alabama and Georgia game later to preview them. Uh, but UCF, I think their win over Florida in terms of their state and what it means may have been the most significant of all of the non-playoff uh, bowl games because for years UCF has been trying to play Florida. Uh, you know, there's there's an argument to be made, and I think a very valid argument, that over the last 10 years UCF has been a better football program than Florida has been. Florida, of course, you know, they made the SEC championship game last year but you go outside of that, we're looking at 10 years. They've never won an SEC championship. Every time they've been to the SEC championship game, they've got obliterated. They weren't good teams that made it there. Meanwhile, UCF has been undefeated. They beat Auburn, a very good Auburn team that had beaten number one Alabama and number Georgia, number one Georgia legitimately in a bowl game. The next year they were undefeated, and Joe Burrow played out of his mind. It was the first time you saw the Joe Burrow you'd see the next season come out, and he beat UCF. And they were just that close from going back-to-back undefeated seasons. And, of course, I mean, they've been, you know, they were good under Heupel. Last year under Gus, a little bit of a step back. But in this whole time, Florida has refused to play them. They made them some kind of, you know, really ticky-tack elitist offer that uh, you, you, come to, you come to the swamp twice to play us, and we'll go down there and play you once. And, of course, the UCF guy said, no, we're your equal. We want to have a one-and-one, -one, and they wouldn't do it. And finally, the first time that UCF gets to play Florida, they beat them. They beat them pretty handily. Bowser ran all over them. And I thought that was just a great moment for UCF football and getting to stick it to the, the big brother there for a second. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that was a game that we both had. UCF just felt like they were just so up for that game and that Florida, you know, was just not – it's a shell of, you know, what they were under Urban Meyer. But the interesting thing about UCF for next year is there's some speculation that John Rice Plumley, who entered the transfer portal this week, he may transfer uh, to UCF. I think uh, Gus Malzahn would love to have a quarterback like John Rice Plumley. I mean, he would fit so well within that offense. I mean, he's kind of like a he's like a, a Nick Marshall to an extent. I mean, it's a very mm -hmm. similar kind of athlete to what you have with Nick Marshall, and I think he would actually flourish in a Gus offense because we know one thing about Gus Malzahn: either you have to be a perfect specimen of a quarterback sent down from the gods like Cam Newton for it to work out, or you just have to be an amazing athlete like Nick Marshall for it to work under you. Any other quarterback won't succeed with Gus Malzahn. And Plumlee, like I said, could be a lot like Nick Marshall. So Yeah, 1,000-yard rusher, um, what, two years ago? That's right. So that's a good thing to look at. All right, Joe, uh, when we come back, we're going to look at first the results of our bowl pool, and then we're going to go into how the game of college football is not what we used to love how it's been, corru been corrupted by the transfer portal that doesn't have anything, by opt-outs, 
And maybe we can pitch some ideas for solutions. And I uh, hope all of y'all are around for that. And I want to wish everybody a happy new year. You can catch all of our episodes on Spotify. Now we've got our YouTube channel with the Dan Joe Sports Show on YouTube. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at DJ Sports Show and like us on Facebook on our Facebook fan page. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe.